are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Isaiah. We're in Isaiah chapters 47 and 48 this evening. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Greg will get one so you can follow along with us. Isaiah 47 and 48. You know, we, we started the book of Isaiah, really verses chapters 1 through 30, I mean 40, the great chapters, but you find sometimes in those chapters that they repeat themselves. And you get maybe two or three chapters that are saying the same things, and you're going, oh, okay, I've heard that before. And, and a lot of times you, people are, are tempted to go, oh, okay, I don't want to come out for Bible study. I mean, I just hear that. But then, you know, they miss out because as we get towards the end of the book, and, and especially from 40 on, I mean, it's just some great, great stuff here and, and great um, things that the Lord has to say to us as a church and and to see the uh, things that the Lord has done. And, and so it's, it's pretty cool. And so anyway, with that said, we're in Isaiah chapter 47. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this night tonight. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have, Lord, that we can come into this place. Owning Bibles, Lord, that we can open up on our laps and hear from you as you speak to us through your word. We pray your blessing upon our night, Lord. We pray that, uh, uh, Lord, we just sense your presence here, Lord. And we thank you for this awesome time of worship, Lord. And just uh, uh, being able to, to worship you, Lord, just with our hearts and our hands lifted high, Lord. And we just praise you and we do worship you. And, Lord, now we just pray for this time of studying of your word. Lord, that you'd anoint it. We pray, Lord, I pray for the youth downstairs as Gabe uh, teaches them, Lord. We pray that as the word goes forth, it touches their hearts as, as it does ours upstairs here, Lord. And that, uh, Lord, we would just grow in our relationship with you. Thank you for this time, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chapter 47, we're going to get into some very disturbing warnings of judgment in this chapter. But the prophetic warnings, I they're going to apply in three different ways. First, they're specific to the nation of Babylon at that time. God would tell of his judgment that was going to be coming 160 so years in the future of prophecy, that would be of this prophecy. Secondly, we're going to see that it's aimed at a worldwide religious and commercial system that's opposed to God, a system that will be present in the last days and will be judged when Jesus returns. And then thirdly, what we'll see in this chapter it's some principles that you and I need to be careful about. Now, when it comes to Babylon, a little bit of history there. Uh, Nimrod originally built the city of Babylon after the flood. It was located on the Euphrates River, about 55 miles south of where Baghdad, Baghdad Iraq, stands today. The name Baghdad, the name Babylon, I'm going to get it right this evening. We've just started. The name Babylon came from the Tower of Babel and was constructed as it was constructed there. Um, Babylon became a large city, a prominent city around 1728 B.C. during the reign of Hammurabi. The glory years of Babylon was achieved during the years of Nebuchadnezzar. And then things started to go down a little bit uh, during the reign of Belshazzar and then came to ruin where the Persians destroyed it in 478 B.C. Well, here in chapter 47, the Lord, through Isaiah, is prophesying uh, just why Babylon is going to be uh, destroyed. the the current Babylon and and future Babylon. Look now at verses 1 through 3 of Isaiah 47. It says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate, 
Take the millstones and grind mill. Remove your veil. Take off the skirt and cover the thigh. Pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not arbitrate with man. Now that phrase, virgin daughter of Babylon, has the idea that the nation had never been conquered. It had never been destroyed, never been captured. The city walls have never been broken down. But all that was about to change. Lord says, you're going to be humbled. He says, uh, and he uses the illustration of a queen without a throne sitting on the ground naked and uncovered. A, a sign of helplessness. Added to the fact that verse 2 says, take the millstone and grind mill. In other words, this describes the hard work, the, the slavery that the Babylonians would soon be exposed to. Because of their wickedness, because of their pride, because of their sin, they will be brought low, humiliated, made slaves. And, and sin does lead to slavery. Make no mistake about it. Paul the Apostle wrote of this in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, when he said, Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. You make that choice. I'm not going to be a slave to sin anymore. I'm free in Christ. I no longer have to be pulled to that sin. Instead, I'm going to be a slave to Christ. I'm going to, 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 to desire to live and please the Lord. And the Lord honors that. Now, the Lord continues with the judgment that he will bring against Babylon. And in verse 4, it's as if Isaiah is saying, Judgment will come to you Babylonians, and it's not by me. Look at verse 4. He says, As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, the Holy One of Israel. I like that. It's like Isaiah is going, okay, I know that the Lord is going to judge Babylon. And he goes, I just want to tell you about who's going to get you. It's my Redeemer. My, my, the Holy One of, of, of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. You know, it, it's kind of like saying to some bully, you wait until my dad gets home. Man, you know what? He's big. I mean, you may have heard of him. Okay, man, and he's going to get you. And, 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 and I love that. We go on to verse 5. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no longer be called the Lady of Kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I have profaned my inheritance and given them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. On the elderly you laid your yoke very heavily, and you said, I shall be a lady forever, so that you did not take these things to heart, nor remember the latter end of them. Therefore hear this now, you who are given to pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one else besides me. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children, but these two things shall come to you in a moment. And one day, the loss of children and widowhood, they shall come upon you in their fullness because of the multitudes of your sorceries, uh, for the great abundance of your enchantments. Now, God here is showing that Babylon is going to be judged, uh, basically because he says in verse 6, uh, you know, I was angry with my people, my, you know, the Jewish people, and because of what they've done, profane my name, and I used you to, to bring them into captivity, but you mistreated them terribly, terribly. And so you're going to be judged by that. In verse 7, he says, Babylon's going to be a kingdom given to arrogance, so they're going to be judged for that. Verse 8, Babylon would be judged because it's given into pleasure. And number 9, Babylon would be judged because they trusted in all kinds of wickedness, wickedness apart from trusting in God. Now that wickedness, in verse 9, God calls it sorceries and enchantments. That word sorceries there is, is the word keshef, and it means witchcraft. It's also used in the New Testament as pharmakia. It's where we get our English word pharmacy from. 
Now, when it comes to, to drugs and, and the Bible, the Bible doesn't really talk about drugs in the sense of modern understanding of antibiotics and, and painkillers and hallucinogenics. So we can, cannot definitely say that, that all drugs are considered sorcery or that the certain, certain of drugs for medical purposes cause demonic possession. You know, you took two aspirin, you're going to be demon-possessed. That's, that's not what it's saying. <laughs> but more specifically, the abuse of drugs where a person is enslaved to them or where they induce an altered state of consciousness for pleasure, certainly an avenue at least to demonic oppression and can certainly lead to demonic possession. We know that Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 tells us, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, Hatred, various illuminations, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, and so forth. But it's that word witchcraft is that same word pharmakia. So we see this, this sorcery, the word here in Isaiah. We also know it's a practice of, of unbiblical means to, fel- to foretell the future. It's, it's summoning spirits, casting spells, enchantments, as, as verse 9 says here. That too is associated with a demonic activity in, in the word, and the Lord forbids it. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10 tells us, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer. So the Lord is saying here that, that, that judgment is coming to, to Babylon because of, of their sorceries, because of the, their witchcraft, because of their enchantments, because of their, you know, maybe getting into these altered states of consciousness through drugs and, and everything else. And so judgment is coming. And, and it's not really that difficult to see the parallel between Babylon and our own country today. And to understand that, you know, we keep going down on the same path, we're going to face the same type of judgment. Well, verse 10, the Lord gives another reason for judgment that's coming. It's pride. Look at verse 10. For you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you. And you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. So first he says, they trust in their wickedness. What does that mean? Well, they thought that why they were doing these things, the witchcraft, the sorcery, that no one saw, that they could do whatever they want in the privacy of their own homes. A lot like what happens today, sadly, when those that get hooked on pornography on the computer thinking no one sees, no one knows. Actually, I think many would be shocked to find out how easy it is for people to see what you're looking at when you're on your computer. But to think, oh, no one sees, no one knows, no one's going to know. But the Lord says, I see, I know. I think of, of Nebuchadnezzar, while we're on the subject of Babylon, he's walking through his garden and he, and he heard this voice, and the voice basically said in Daniel chapter 4, you've been watched, you've been being watched, and you haven't been behaving yourself, so you're going you're, you're to get cut off. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes to Daniel, you know, what, what does this mean, you know, what's this all about? And, and, and Daniel, you know, says, uh, you know, walk carefully, little king, you're in a bad way because of the pride of your heart, you've exalted yourself against God. And for a year or so, Nebuchadnezzar behaved himself. He was doing great. And, and he's walking there through the hanging gardens there in Babylon, one of the, the seventh wonders of, of the, the ancient world. And he says, is this not the great Babylon that I have built? All of a sudden, there's this pride and who, he, with, who he, he is and what he's done. And just then, listen to what Daniel 4, 31 and 32 says. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you 
And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the fields. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. You see, they said, no one sees. No one knows what's going on, and, and look what we have done. You know, I have done this, and I have done that. God says, I see. I know what's going on. I've seen your wickedness. I've seen your pride in verse 10. When you say, I am, and there's no one else besides me. Therefore, God says, look at verse 11. Therefore, evil shall come upon you. You shall not know from where it arises. And trouble shall fall upon you. You will not be able to put it off. And desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. So here, Isaiah is describing a future event that will take place approximately 60, or 160 to 200 years later from Isaiah's day. But also more than 2,500 years later and maybe beyond that. You see, Isaiah is writing of the day that yet is in the future, even to us, when a different Babylon is going to fall. What I'm saying is that there's a literal Babylon that we've been looking at, but there's also the mystery Babylon. Back in verse 7, in the New American Standard Bible, Isaiah 47.7, it says, Yet you said, I will be a queen forever. These things you did not consider, nor remember the outcome of them. So remember in verse 1, it talks about the virgin daughter, but now we've moved to, to the queen of the kingdoms in verse 7. Over in Revelation chapters 17 and 18, we read of God's judgment coming upon the commercial and religious Babylon, over the mystery Babylon. There we read of a, of a world system that's in rebellion against God. It's a world system with a false religion and a world system that is a world-impacting economic power. And actually, Revelation chapter 18, verse 7, quotes this verse in Isaiah 47, and verse 7. Uh, Revelation 18, 7 says this, In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give, give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. So see the, see the pride back then of the original Babylon carries over to the mystery Babylon in the future. Now to fully understand this, we really need to you know, take the time to read several chapters of the Bible, which we don't have the time to do. But, but let me give you a, a few verses you can look up later on. You can write them down. And, and it really just speaks of the destruction of Babylon, the destruction that's going to come to both, to, came to the first Babylon and to the mystery Babylon. Write this down, not just Isaiah 47, but Isaiah 13 and 14, Jeremiah 50 and 51, and Revelation 17 and 18. I might have given you those before in a past study. I don't remember. If I did, you can look them up again and tell me, Tom, you, you gave those to me before. But again, Isaiah 13 and 14, Jeremiah 15 and 51, and Revelation 17 and 18. Let me give you a few. Let me quote a few verses from those, those chapters just to get an idea of what God is saying when it comes to Babylon and the judgment that is coming. Listen to Isaiah 13, verse 5 and 6. They are coming from a far country, from the farthest horizons. The Lord is an instru- and his instruments of indignation to destroy the whole land. Well, for the day of the Lord is near, will come as destruction from the Almighty. Isaiah 13, 8-11 speaks of how they will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation. Isaiah 13:19 And Babylon the beauty of kingdoms the glory of the Chaldean pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. 
A few from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 53. It'll make her land an object of horror and there will be no inhabitant in it. Jeremiah 50.13. She'll be completely desolate. Desolate. Everyone who passes Babylon will be horrified. Jeremiah 50.39 and 40. It'll never again be inhabited or dwell in from generation to generation. As when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah with its neighbors, declares the Lord, no man will live there. How about Jeremiah 51, 6 and 7? Flee from the midst of Babylon and each of you save his life. Let's go Revelation chapter 18, 8. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. So you see the judgment is going to come to, 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 to Babylon and also to, to the mystery Babylon. And as you read through these chapters, one thing becomes clear is that Jeremiah prophesied this destruction. And it was accomplished just as the Lord said it was going to be. And it will be just as the Lord says it will be. Now think about this. Saddam Hussein, you know, launched a project to rebuild Babylon in the late 1980s. But the effort was halted by the Gulf War. And I think it's yet to be resumed. But if, again, if Babylon is never to be rebuilt, why, why are two entire chapters of the book of Revelation devoted to the destruction of Babylon? Well, again, because there's two. There's the mystery Babylon. Listen to Revelation chapter 17, verse 3 and 5. You can turn there if you want, but uh, it's Revelation 17, verse 3 through 5. It says this, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So we introduced to this other Babylon here in Revelation chapter 17. Who is Mystery Babylon? Well, she's the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. Verse 18 of Revelation 17 tells us the woman is a city. It says, and the woman who you saw in that great city which reigns over all the kings of the earth. We also know that in Revelation 17:9 it says where the city is. It says, here is the mind which is wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. So we're given a woman, we know she's a, it's a city, and then we're told where this woman is sitting. She's sitting on, on seven hills or seven mountains. There's only one city on, on, on the, in the world that is known as the city of seven hills. And that's the city of Rome. And the, the Roman Catholics do claim to, to, the Vatican rather, does claim to rule over one billion uh, Roman Catholics worldwide. They're arrayed in purple and scarlet, just as you read in Revelation. They're, they're, that's the colors they wear. Now remember, that prophecy in Revelation was given uh, long before the Catholic Church existed, long before Rome was her headquarters. So there can be only one conclusion that the Vatican is the mystery Babylon of Revelation. And it's this false religious system that has deceived people of the world for so long, combined with a corrupt commercial system together in the last days as the Antichrist comes in and partners with them to deceive uh, the earth. And God is saying here that it will be destroyed. Just like the literal Babylon was destroyed, mystery Babylon will be destroyed. She will utterly be burned with fire for strong as the Lord who judges her. Now we go back to Isaiah 47, verse 12, and we see another reason why the destruction. Verse 12 says, Stand now with your enchantments and the multitudes of your sorceries, and once you have labored from your youth, perhaps you will be able to profit, perhaps you will be prevail." You are wearied in the multitude of your counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, and the monthly 
prognosticators. Prognosticators, if you can say that word, is they're fortune tellers, psychics, those who claim to be able to predict the future. The Lord says, uh, let them try. Let them, he says, stand up and save you from what shall come upon you. Behold, he says, they shall be a stubble. The fire shall burn them, and they shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. It shall not be a coal to be warmed by, nor a fire to sit before. Thus shall they be to you with whom you have labored, your merchants from your youth. They shall wander each one to his quarter. No one shall save you. So again, what we have is Babylon is, is personified as a woman with astrology, spells, sorceries, having labored in them since her youth. And this becomes really understandable when you understand that the beginnings of Babylon. You know, Nimrod's kingdom of Babel, Genesis chapter 10 and 11 describes that era when men turned to these false gods of astrology and, and divination and idolatry and every false religious system ever created by man usually has its roots back in Babylon. Again, that's why it's called the mother of all harlots and the abominations of the earth, Revelation 17.5. But I think we see a warning here in these verses in, in Isaiah about astrology and the stargazers and the monthly prognosticators these things are not from God. The Lord doesn't approve of these things. You know, don't even get started on, you know, with the weekly horoscopes. You know, it can be a snare that can, that can draw you away from God. Oh, what sign are you? Oh, we're the same sign. That must mean something. Yeah, it means you're both idiots. That's what it means, okay? <laughs> no, people, you know, get started with this stuff. They, they just, I'm just curious, you know, about my, my horoscope. Well, what's it going to say today? And, 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 and then before you know it, they're hooked on it and, then, and they're planning their whole life upon what some astrologer predicts for their life. It's interesting to me that people have to believe in something, but when they don't believe in God, it's amazing to read about the foolish things that they do believe in. The Bible says in Romans one twenty two, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. The minute you rule God out of your life, you're open to and susceptible to every foolish thing. And, and men can believe the most stupid things when they're, they're once they reject God. And they, they have. And then as a result, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 11 tells us, as a result of rejecting God, that God will give them over to delusion that they may believe a lie rather than the truth. In other words, God says, if you think you're so wise and you don't have anything to do with me and you want to believe that lie, then go ahead and believe your lie. And you just see how foolish it is, you know, uh, when they do that. And we just see how wise they, they really are. I mean, they, they see how, how foolish it is. You see, what God is saying is, is that, you know, you can trust in that stuff, but it's not going to save you. But look at verse 15. It says, no one shall save you. Trusting in those things, they're not going to save you. All the wise men, all the astrologers, they won't be able to save themselves, much less you. Listen, the world around us, Babylon, if you would, is a sinking ship. And you have a choice of even going down with the sinking ship or getting into the lifeboat. Jesus is the lifeboat. He offers to, to rescue us from judgment from our sins, having to send His Son to die in our place. And Jesus is the only one that can save us. He came to this earth, earth for that reason, to be crucified on the cross, to take the penalty for my sin, that I might have a chance to be correctly forgiven by God, to have that relationship with Him. Now, why would you want anything else? Why would you look elsewhere? Okay, chapter 48. Having left Babylon, we now focus back on Judah and the Jews. Look at verses 1 and 2. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and have come forth from the wellsprings of Judah, who swear by the names of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth, 
or in righteousness. For they call themselves after the holy city and lean on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. One of the interesting things about Jewish history is that the name changes that take place, you know, and, and you think about it, even in the founding fathers, you think about Jacob. Remember Jacob? Jacob's name meant hill catcher, you know, because of his sneaky nature that he has. But then God got a hold of him and changed his name to Israel, which means governed by God. And here, God is pointing out that they're called Israel, supposedly governed by God, but he says, you're the house of Jacob, the sneaky guy, you know, the guy who broke all the rules when he wanted to break all the rules. He also says that they came from the wellsprings of Judah. That, now, that sounds great. Oh, you came from the wellsprings of Judah. Judah was a man who sold his brother into slavery and, and then slept with a prostitute after his wife died. So, so the Lord has really given a pretty accurate description of the Jews at that time. On top of that, the Lord says, you make mention of the God of Israel, but not in the truth or in righteousness. In other words, you're claiming to belong to me, but your actions speak otherwise. You know, it's like when some business puts the, the, you know, the, the Christian fish on their sign and then proceeds to rip you off. You know, wait a minute. Or, or someone comes up to you and says, oh, praise the Lord, brother. Why are they telling you lies and, 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 and you know, not living for the Lord? Or like, you know, the Hollywood actors. You know, you see those. I don't watch award programs like that, but every once in a while you catch something and it's like, I just want to thank God for all that he's done for me and giving me this reward. I'm thinking, what God? <laughs> Certainly not the God of the Bible, uh, you know, because their activities uh, is anything but Christian. They just take the name. Here the Lord says, you've been called by the name of Israel. You've taken the name governed by God, but God's not governing your life. You've not submitted your life to God. And that's something that, that, that we have to be aware of. That, that we call ourselves Christians, but have we truly submitted our life to God in everything, every aspect of our life? Lord, this is, this is, I'm submitting to you in my finances, in my work, in my family. Lord, everything I submit to you. So here God is rebuking them for taking the name and not living up to his name. He goes on in verse 3. He says, I declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did them and they came to pass because I knew that you were obstinate and your neck was an iron sinew and your brow bronze. In other words, God's saying, you know, I, you know, preach prophecy. I, I gave you prophecy because I knew that you are stubborn people. In the Bible, stubbornness is often referred to as being stiff-necked. And, and it's a reference really to horses that won't turn their, their, their necks to, to one side or the other. They refuse to, they refuse to yield to the direction that they're being led. And God is saying, you refuse to yield. You're, you're stiff-necked. God says, your people are worse. You're worse than a stiff-necked horse. Your, your neck is made of iron. He says, you have a, a, a forehead that's made of bronze. And we're talking hard-headed there, you know. You're hard-headed. In other words, he's saying, I, I, I've been, been sharing with you, but you're not listening to, to the warnings over and over again from the little Lord. But, but instead, they just kept trusting their idols to save them. You know, like Israel... What will God have to do to finally get us to see that, that we need to obey His Word? I mean, if you're at a place where you're wondering why you're in bondage to the things aren't, and things aren't working out for you, could it be that there's a point uh, of disobedience? Maybe there's a bit of stiff-neckedness, you know, that, that, that we have. Maybe there's some stubbornness in our life where we're going, well, I want this, I want this, I want this, I'm not going to budge, I'm not going to budge. As God's going, well, then, then nothing's going to happen. 
You're going to stay there because you're not budging. I want to do this work in your life, but you're dead set on doing something else. We need to be open and, and not stubborn and allow God to move and work in our lives. Now, we'll see in just a moment, as God did with Israel, that God loves you don't have to allow the furnace of affliction to come upon you so that you might surrender to Him, so you might return to Him. And that's never planet, never pleasant. You know, better to humble ourselves and turn to Him than stay stiff-necked. God, God will get that stiff-neckedness out of us one way or the other. Sometimes it's with a heating pad, and the heating pad of God is like, ooh, you know, that's not always comfortable. It goes on in verse 5. Even from the beginning... I've declared it to you. Before it came to pass, I proclaimed it to you, lest you should say, My idol has done them, and my carved image and my molded image have commanded them. You have heard, see all this. And will you not declare it? I have made you hear new things from this time, even hidden things, and you did not know them. See, the Lord is saying here, I'm going to tell you things in the future, new things, that your idols can't do. I'm going to do it in such a way that you can't give credit to these idols that you've made and these carved images that you made. He goes on in verses 7 and 8. They're created now and not from the beginning. And before this day you have not heard them. Lest you should say, of course I knew them. Surely you did not hear. Surely you did not know. Surely from long ago your ear was not opened. For I knew that you would deal very treacherously and you were called a transgressor from the room. God is saying, I'm going to tell you something. So new that you won't be able to say, I knew that. I heard that. You know, kind of like for you parents when you try to tell your kids something. Hey, you need to do that. I knew that. I knew that. You can't tell me that. No, you didn't know that, okay? Here the Lord says to his people, you don't know. You have no clue. In fact, I knew that you would not know even before you were even born, he says there. I like that. See, everything, Lord says to people, you don't know. And, and, and see, not everything has been prophesied by the days uh, of Isaiah. There are some new visions, new prophecies coming from God for the first time, you know, the, through the prophet. And this was for the sole purpose of the Jews to understand that God was speaking to them, not some idol. And God was moving and wanting to work in their lives. Remember what the Lord said back in chapter 43, verse 19, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it. I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God's saying, I'm going to do something new in your life that you can't blame it on everybody. You can't say, oh, it's just my, my good fortune or, or because I did this or that. I'm going to do something new and it's going to be great in your life. Now, new things, you know, sometimes are not very comfortable. You know, sometimes we like, like to change, not like to stay in that place where we're at. You know, something new. I don't know if I want something new. I'm real comfortable just where I'm at. But, but, but God wants us to get out of that comfortableness sometimes. So it can get us, cause us to grow and get into some new and exciting things. Look at verse 9. He says, For my name's sake, I will defer my anger. And for my praise, I will restrain it from you, so that I do not cut you off. Now, God would have been justified in bringing judgment against the Israelites. I mean, just speaking them into, out of existence, really. But he never did. Why? Because he made promises to them. Besides, if God gave up on Israel forever, then the heathens would attribute their victory over Israel to their idols, and God's glory would be given over to idols or to another. So God is saying here that, that for my name's sake, I'm not going to give up on Israel. For my word, I'm not going to give up on Israel. God, even today, has not given up on Israel. Verse 10, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Ooh. 
Now, the heating up of silver by the refiner's fire was to remove the, the impurities and then they'd, they'd, they'd scrape off the, the dross and then just be the pure silver, the pure gold that's left. But here the Lord is saying, I'm not going to re- refine you by fire. This time it's going to be that of affliction. Your hardness and your stubbornness can, can only be removed through affliction. Now, we know all throughout the Jews' history, God has used affliction to purify them. The 70 years that Babylon they would they would be in Babylon uh, ultimately would would do that you know that that in Babylon would do that ultimately the seven years of the tribulation will finish that work but we also know that from time to time that God does use affliction in our lives to to refine us we're told in first Peter chapter one verse six and seven he says in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while if need be you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, there's afflictions and things that go on in our lives that God is using to purify us and to draw us close to Him. And, and, and sometimes, sometimes it's, it's you know, financial situations. Sometimes it's health situations. Sometimes it's, it's relationship situations. And God is saying, I'm using that to, to help you to grow. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, I bear willing witness that I owe more to the fire and the hammer and the file than to anything else in my Lord's workshop. I sometimes question whether I've ever learned anything except through the rod. When my schoolroom is darkened, I see the most. Well, we go on, look at verse 12 and 13. The Lord says, Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, my called. I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. Now, this is a great verse because we see the speaking of the same thing of Jesus Christ. Over in, in, in uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 12 and 13, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And here in Isaiah, God is saying, I am the first and the last. Here in Isaiah, God says, my, my, my hand has laid the foundation to the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. Colossians 1.16, speaking of Jesus, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and by him. We see the deed of Jesus Christ here in Isaiah, uh, with the other verses here linked to Isaiah. Now look at verses 14 and 15. All of you assemble yourselves and hear who among them has declared these things. The Lord loves him. He shall do his pleasure on Babylon and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I even I have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I have brought him and his way will prosper. Now, again, I believe this, this goes back to speaking of Cyrus, who we, we, we've looked at recently. God called him by name and he's saying, I'm going to use Cyrus to conquer Babylon. Verse 16, he says, come near to me, hear this. I've not spoken in secret from the beginning. From this time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and His Spirit have set me. Now this is an interesting verse. There seems to be a different of opinions on verse 16 here. At first reading, it would seem that, that Isaiah is speaking of himself. Hey, everyone, everyone listen to me. I, I'm not speaking in secret. God has sent me. But if you look at it a little bit closer, it seems to be speaking of Jesus. Remember what uh, Jesus, when he was talking with the Pharisees, and they said, well, we are Abraham's children. And Jesus said this in John eight fifty six through 58. Yeah, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, most assuredly I said to you, before Abraham was, I 
Ham. Now I think we have the same thing here in verse 16. From the time that it was, I was there. I was there. From the time that it was, from the beginning, I am. And now the Lord God and His Spirit have sent me. I believe speaking of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 17 through 19 now. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants also would have been like the sand, and the offspring of your body like the grains of the sand. His name would not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. Now, a lot of people, when they read verse 17, they jump to a couple of conclusions. One, they say, well, the Jews are all rich because God made them that way. Number two, uh, since this applies to us, then God is going to make us rich. Because it says there, the Lord your God teaches you to profit. They say, to make money. Yeah, that's it. The Lord's teaching me to make money. No, that's not what it's saying. The word for profit there in verse 17 is y'all. Like, y'all come back now. That's not what it is, but... But actually it's y'all, but it's, it's a Hebrew word that means to gain, profit, benefit, and avail. See, God's not saying he's going to teach you to be rich, how to get rich. In fact, Paul put it this way in 1 Timothy 6, 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown in men's destruction and perdition. Rather, listen to verse 17 in the New Living Translation. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the path that you should follow. Doesn't that sound much better? That makes a lot more sense. Teaches what is good for you. And if money is not good for you, then you're not going to get the money. I mean, that's the bottom line. See, that's the gain. That's the benefit, the profit, our well-being. Going down God's path, following God's way, doing things His way, the right way. God's ways are always the best way. That's why then that verse 18 says, Oh, that you had heeded my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Oh, if we obey the Lord, we obey His word, obey His commandments, there's peace in our lives. The turmoil is in there. Yeah, attacks come and trials come, but, but as you obey the Lord, then you, you avoid so much more hazards and sand traps. You know, and the peace we experience isn't just like a, a nice little pool of water, but like a river where the peace just keeps flowing and flowing. Just that the peace of God as you, as you just obey the Lord and follow Him. You just get that peace as you walk through life. Just kind of flow. Man, why, why are you always so happy? Why are you just so peaceful? Oh, it's just the Lord working in my life. Finally, verses 20 through 22. Go forth in Babylon. Flee from the Chaldeans with a voice of singing. Declare, proclaim this. Utter it to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. And they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow from the rock for them. He also split the rock and the waters gushed out. There is no peace as the Lord for the wicked. Here the Lord is declaring to the Jews that they are free from Babylon. They are free from captivity. The Lord has redeemed them. Let the world know. He says, declare, proclaim this, utter it to the ends of the earth. See, before Cyrus ever decreed that the Jews could return to their land... The Lord is is paving the way for them to return. After the captivity from Babylon, after the destruction of Babylon, the Lord saying, here, I paved a way to return to the land. And just as he miraculously provided for the children of Israel during their exodus from Egypt, so we would provide for them as a return to Babylon. Now, the unfortunate thing is that when 70 years was over, not a lot of them wanted to leave Babylon. 
I mean, he had kids that were born there in Babylon. They were living there, and, 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 and they didn't want to leave. They liked it where they were at. So God even prophesied here that those who choose to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild God's temple would be provided for in the long journey home. But as for those who choose to stay in Babylon, God promises they would never find peace. The the principle applies to us today as well. Those who desire to live the straight and narrow path towards the kingdom of God will be blessed and provided for. But those who want to live in this world and go after the things of the world will find no peace in that place. Now, chapter 48 ends with the absence of peace for the wicked, but chapter 49 prophesies of the coming of the Prince of Peace of this world. And so that'll be great in chapter 49. But again, I want to close off that there's, there's no peace for the wicked. I think we need to understand that when we're Sharing our faith with those that don't know the Lord. You know, they may tell you, oh, I'm fine. My, my life is good. I, I'm content. In fact, we, I talked to a gentleman. We talked to a gentleman on Friday night at the GO team. I'm happy. You know, well, what, what happened when you die? Oh, you know, whatever comes is going to happen. I, I get what's coming to me. I, I'm happy. I, I'm peace. I, I'm at peace. And, you know, the thing of it is, I know he's lying. I know he's lying. Because there's no peace without Jesus Christ. Not true peace. And we need to understand that. And when we share with people, we need to understand, listen, I know that there's no peace in life because the Bible says there's no peace for the wicked. But the Prince of Peace can come into your life and give you that peace if you give your life to Him. So we'll close here tonight, chapter 49, next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time tonight, Lord. We thank You that we have a Savior who is our Prince of Peace. Lord, we thank you for the love that you've given to us. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that if, if I'm being hard-hearted in an area in my life, Lord, if, if any of us, Lord, are being hard-hearted or stubborn, and you're trying to get through to us, Lord, that we just give up, and we would just turn everything over to you, Lord, that your will would be done, Lord, that we would not continue just to push our own will, Lord, but we would just surrender to what you have for us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for calling us, for saving us, cleansing us of our sin. Lord, I want to pray also for this coming Sunday evening, Lord, as we have our outreach really in the park. A time of great fellowship as a church, time to gather together as families, Lord. But also, Lord, if, if there might be someone that would come that don't know you, or that, that they would give their hearts and life to you, Lord, as we share in worship and share a message, Lord, that their hearts would even be open. And we, we pray now, Lord, that you would even prepare the hearts of those to come that, and maybe someone that we can invite, Lord, to be there. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this church and the blessing that it is and the great fellowship that we have because you're such a great God and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand.